As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman. Uh, my colleague Stu Mandel is off this week. He's taken a little bit of a vacation, but we have a really good guest today to fill in for Stu, and he is Neil Brown, the head coach at West Virginia, who is a very thoughtful coach on a lot of subjects, and I thought it'd be interesting to get Neil's perspective on a lot of what has been going on for the past couple of months. Neil, thanks for joining us on The Audible today. Bruce, thanks for having me. Always, always a pleasure. Yeah, I, I thought it'd be fun. Stu's on vacation this week, or at least he's on home vacation. And uh, staycation. I, I thought we'd have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever it is to kind of <laughs> to kind of, I guess, uh, decompress for a minute. So let's start there. Like, so obviously you're working, but it's a different environment. What has the last couple of months been like for you? Zoom, zoom, zoom. Um, no, just. You know, trying to try to manage people remotely. It's been unique. It's uh, it's been challenging. I think I've grown a lot of ways. I think I've probably grown in a lot of ways. Um, but it's been different. I think that's you know, that's a simple word, but it's the best, probably the best word I can use to describe it. It's just, it's been different. So when you're in the middle of this, and you're obviously a leader of a program with a lot of people, not just players, but staff and people you report to. Like, what has been the hardest thing for you to sort out as you're in? We're all in uncharted waters, but as a football coach, you certainly are too. So what's been the hardest thing to kind of figure out? Uh, Communication has been vital during this. Um, I think there's a fine line between doing enough and then overdoing it. And I think that that fine line, and that's something that um, we have a plan that we – that we've played, we've adjusted it as we've gone. Um, it's really been centered around three things, Bruce, and the first one's been the health and wellness of our players and our staff. And in one of the main ways that we've done that is to try to have check-ins Monday through Friday with our players, uh, whether it's position meetings, team meetings. Um, we, we try to have daily check-ins and, and really check in on their physical and their mental health and, and those within their family as well. The second thing is just trying to develop routines and schedules. I think those are so important during during this time 
is developing a routine and a schedule because there's so much um, literature and so much research that's done. If you stay on a routine and schedule, then you can manage yourself much better. And the third thing is just trying to, to maintain this culture of accountability. And what I mean by that is, is as coaches, we can't hold them accountable to their workouts. We can hold them accountable to their position work and things like in academics and things like that. When I say position um, from a meeting standpoint, but they really have to hold each other accountable for working out and staying in shape. So those are the three things, health and wellness, routine schedule, and then a culture of accountability. That's been our really focus during this entire 11 weeks that we've been in quarantine now. I've talked to some coaches, not just head coaches, but assistants. And they said, you know, for them, some of them have watched more TV news than they probably ever have because there's been a lot more downtime. It's not to say that there hasn't been a lot of busy work, but also the routine is different. Has there been some things that you have found that you've either, I don't want to say gotten into, but just have been uh, things that have kind of something you've started to think about a lot more away from football that is something that, you know, we're in a pandemic and you're just kind of thinking it, it just takes you in a different place mentally. Is that something you found from your own perspective? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good um, view is it, it, it takes a lot of different things into consideration. Um, and so I think there has to be a good, good mix of it can't be all work right now. You know, I think that um, I pose this question to our staff and our players is when we look back on this outside the tragedy of this, that this is and the people that have lost their lives and the people that have lost their livelihoods and the people that have gotten sick after that, like, how do you, how are you going to remember this time in your life? Is it a point of growth for you or is it an excuse for you? And so we really tried to, and myself included, really tried to make it a point of growth. Um, I've probably watched um, more actual football film than I ever have during this time of year because I've had the ability to do that. Uh, I've probably um, had more conversations with recruits, more in-depth conversations with recruits and their parents than I ever have due to the restrictions that we're under because they can't come in to the facility um, or, on, or on our campus. Um, I like to read. We've had that discussion before, Bruce, mm-hmm. but, I, but I've read more. Um, I've, I've talked to more coaches than, than I probably have since I've been a head coach over the last five and a half, six years. Um, so there has been some real growth for me. Uh, Television-wise, uh, like the last dance – Somebody asked me about the last dance not too long ago. And, and I, I grew up in like Michael Jordan. So I appreciate him and the type of competitor he was and those Bulls teams. I, like I, I grew up and I'm, I'm from Kentucky. So, you know, I like basketball, mm-hmm. but it really was such a nostalgic look back because, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm a senior in high school and I graduated in 98. And so like the music, the, the dress, all that kind of stuff was such a cool kind of flashback. So, so I've enjoyed that. Um, so there, there's been some things that my kids are at, are 12, nine and five in this time that, that we've been able to spend with them. And, you know, it's like fun. It's, it's, 
you know, here I am coaching at the power five level, great athletes. And I'm having to bring my wife in to translate how to get my five-year-old son to, uh, I know how I want to teach him to, to hit the ball off the tee, but she's having to translate it because she's got elementary school education degree. Yeah. I think what's been interesting just from, you know, I can, I can relate to having young kids. We have two kindergartners and, the one thing I've taken from this and tried to rem- remind myself of it is I've always heard, and especially now, you probably a difference between your oldest and your youngest, but I've always heard from some other parents, when your child becomes 11, 12, 13, they're probably not going to want to spend as much time around you as they did when they were <laughs> four, five, six, seven. And so what I've tried to remember is, hey, we're going to wish at some point, probably not too far in the distant future, that we had savored more time when they were that age well now's our opportunity you know we're around them all the time and especially you know i'm not saying i travel more or less than the average person but i know what it's like in the football season um and i know there's a lot of time i spend on the phone for work and and whatnot it's like and i'm not saying i'm not doing some work now but but um you know it is things that i i think i will appreciate more for that that time that I have with our kids, especially, um, but the the development piece to me is is interesting because I've heard this from talking to other coaches, and you alluded to this before. Um, you are a voracious reader. I remember you were telling me for a story we did when you were at uh, Troy that your mom was a librarian, and that probably had a big role in that. And, and what are the kinds of things you've been reading this off season? Has it been for strictly for development or has some of it been for maybe to, to kind of decompress a little bit at the same time? Both, both. I'm, I'm, I read, it, it was in, in my mom's elementary school librarian. We've talked about that before, Bruce, but I read now because I'm curious as much as anything. Um, and, and I read because I want to grow um, but also want to be able to to take that knowledge that I'm getting and be able to put it into our staff and our players because I realize that everybody's not into reading. And so I think it's an avenue that I can use to maybe help pour into our guys, whether it's our staff or our, or our players. And so I've got – I'm all over the place. I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it, um, but I, I read multiple things at once. And then I go back and, like, like good, here's a good example. There's a book by Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way. Well, I read that a couple of years ago, but I got it right. I got it out at the start of the pandemic because what better book to pull from than that? You know, turning tra- it's you know the whole premise of it is turning tragedy into triumph. Well, you were in the midst of a tragedy right here. What can you know? How can our program triumph out of it? How can we come out of it with an edge? Um, I read a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits, you know, because I'm intrigued by people that have extreme discipline. Um, you know, I've read, let's see, I finished some, uh, is, is, Lombardi, is Lombardi doing some things for the athletic now? I he is. Yes. He's a columnist. So I'll, pump, I'll pump the athletic. I read Lombardi. I finished Lombardi's book. Um, I'm reading a couple of books on teamwork because I think that's, um, you know, and here's the other thing too, is I've been a part of some leadership development, like seminars um, that have been tied in with the military through horizon uh, performance. And those have been awesome. 
you know, and just talking with topic, you know, listening to some of the military leaders that the lead special forces and, you know, how do they manage in times of crisis? What are some, how do they, how do they um, make the, make intangible um, behaviors? How do, how do they measure those? Like it's been, it's been really interesting just to, to have some conversations with people that without, without this ever occurring, there's no way that I would have made time. You know, there's no way I would have been, you know, cause I've got my calendar and I forgot to erase it all. So I'm constantly reminded on what, what I would be doing if the pandemic wasn't going on. And so, you know, between the bo- uh, booster functions and caravans and big 12 meetings and those things like that, I wouldn't have had the time to not only spend time with my family, but also spend time in personal growth or just in, in engaging with people that can help build our program. How, how uh, mindful do you find you have to be as a head coach? And you're certainly, and this fits as the head coach at West Virginia, where you're one of the most visible people in the state where you know that the coaches you go up against are all, it's a competitive business. Everybody is all trying to get an edge and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to say, whoever comes out of this, the most prepared will have the biggest advantage come the fall. How do you manage messaging that in a, such a competitive business while also trying to be mindful that there are people, there's been a lot of loss of life and there's a lot of people who are scared and concerned uh, maybe it's hit their families. Certainly, maybe it's it's impacted their their jobs. And so, how do you how do you kind of find the balance there? With I I know what I need to do, but I also know that I have to be cautious. Maybe that things either aren't taken the wrong way or misinterpreted. Well, football is not the most important thing. And I talked to our our players about this and this is something we've really probably spent more time during this is like I'm a football coach but that that doesn't need to define who I am our guys on our team play football but that doesn't def- that doesn't need to define who they are and so we've tried to make this all about our players as individuals um, and not about getting better as a football player or getting better so we can have a successful season um because it has, you know, it, it football has taken a back seat to this. You know, I'm more, I just want to, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when we can be together as a football team um, is we can teach, we can share personal moments. I'm not sitting here missing the wins. Now, listen, I love to win. That's, you know, it's part of it, but I'm missing the personal interactions. I'm missing the opportunity to see growth in our players. Um, and so I think you, you make decisions that with the players in mind. Um, my biggest concern during this pandemic for our football team is not necessarily been about their physical health. I've been more concerned about the mental health side of it. And just because um, early on during this pandemic, I was watching all the news channels. I was trying to keep up with everything I possibly could. And I just couldn't – I wasn't intelligent enough in the science realm to understand what was political, what wasn't political, what numbers were accurate, what weren't. So all I know is is this is bad. It's serious. I've done exactly what our people have said to do. 
Um, and, and as we've gone through this, all right, I've learned that at our age bracket, now there are exceptions, just like there's exceptions to everything, but the age bracket that we coach is for the most part, hasn't been as severely affected as some of the other um, age populations. And so when that became, you know, I started worrying more about their mental health. And the reason being is because so much, so many of these guys that, that we coach is everything in their life's been turned upside down. They're creatures of routine. And as a division one athlete, you're always focused on what's next. So you go through your winter conditioning, then you have spring ball, and then you have time off in May, and then you have eight weeks of summer. And then you have a little bit of time off, then you have fall camp. And, and you get what I'm saying. Everything rolls through. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, in basically, you know, a 24 to 48-hour period, is everything was disrupted for them. And some of these guys were thrown back into their home situations that just weren't very good. And they're having to deal with things um, that they either never have de- had to deal with or they're dealing with things that 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 they overcame and now they're having to – deal with them again. So we've been really mindful of our players' mental health. And that has been my biggest concern. That's why I'm looking forward to getting our guys back on campus um, and creating a more normal routine and where we have tools here that can help combat any negative mental health situation. Back to the podcast in a minute, but first, a word from our newest partner, Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation, but not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. So get 25% off your first order by going to drinkhydrant.com audible. That's drinkhydrant.com slash audible for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash audible. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to what you said at the beginning, too, about I felt like there's a, a overload or overwhelming quality you would get if you watched a lot of the news <laughs> yeah. and the thing that that is exhausting to me and i look i got to be on social media to some extent because it's part of it goes with the job but it's like everything feels like it's has a political you know tie to it in some capacity yeah. you know it's like okay there's this story and i'm like don't look at the comments underneath it because it's like it, it's like i agree it's an old it's just an overwhelming, exhausting quality where I'd like to think that the majority of people who are out there are not doing, you know, everything from an agenda, either it's one side or the other. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's, it's tiring. It's just, you know, it is. And I felt like once I was like, all right, I'm not, tur- I may turn on the TV and it's what you use the word when you're talking about the last dance and it was a great word is, is nostalgic. Like I have watched a lot of old sports or things that kind of put me in a, a more settled frame of mind. than I'm going to turn on and watch some press conference or hear people shouting at each other um, about things. I just, I agree. Again, I don't know if, yeah, it's just, it's just tiring now. I, I'll tell you for, I was working out Bruce. So I was working out in the morning. That's one thing I've gotten a much better routine is since this all started is I was working out and what I was doing, I was bouncing back and forth every morning. This is probably the first three weeks, maybe of this of I would watch Fox news and then I watch CNN and I'd bounce back and forth. And then it became so it, it was like I was living in two different countries. And so, and then, and I was trying to read all the stuff on, on Twitter and other, and, and other online things where I was trying to keep up with every breaking detail and it be, and I just got in a funk and I, I could feel myself. And it's like, some, you know, sometimes you read things and you think, man, I just read this and it hit me at the perfect time. Well, Trevor Moad's got that book. Uh, it takes, mm-hmm. which Andy, you know, um, who I really like. Um, uh, wrote with him and there's there's in there the, there's a part of that book it's just talks about removing the negative and like I just rem- I removed all that from and then I started getting all my information directly from Clay Marsh who's kind of taking the, he works for WVU Medicine and he's taking the lead in the state of West Virginia and the state of West Virginia has done a, a good job uh, for the most part with this and I started getting my direct I started getting all my information from him and once I removed all the, all the, the extreme views, like my outlook and 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 how how we were approaching that was so much better. Yeah, it's funny. I, I wasn't when you said that something stuck with me. So about a year ago, um, this is I don't know if this is a conversation I should go into, but about a year ago, um, I remember there was some sports talk seminar that I was speaking on with. Steve, uh, Steve Weich and Ramona Shelburne, we were on the same panel right before us. Uh, and our friend Chris Vanini would, would perk up with this name I'm about to throw out, but right before us, there was a, a, uh, a panel or just, I don't know if it was a panel, it was just a segment that was done by Eric Bischoff, who was a big WCW, like, I think he ran it for, for Turner in the nineties, you know, when they were going head to head with Mm -hmm. Vince McMahon. And this is, again, it's a year ago, and he said something that you talked about, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically what they were really good at with carrying their storylines over was was like this adrenaline fix. And he said that what what these news shows now are really designed to do is to get you angry and to get you to come back. And it's almost like, you know, you can imagine like this being like a lab experiment or whatever that that you're kind of sucked into and it's a little maddening to hear that, but it's definitely exhausting to get sucked into that. And I, I referenced talking to a, uh, it was a defensive coordinator who's a little older, um, probably about a month and a half ago. And he was talking about the first time he'd ever watched the news and he was, you could tell he was engaged, but I'm not sure in the end how, how healthy it was probably for him, you know? And I think that's a lot of people and it's, um, you know, whether, whether what other side, regardless of what side of, 
of political views you hold. It's just, it can be exhausting when you get worked up. And I think when you, you know, you talked about the mental health of your players and everything, I think that, you know, I think it, it can be not just for the players. I think it can be just for, you know, whether you're an 18 year old who still, try, you know, has still trying to figure out who you are or you're a 38 year old or a 48 year old and you don't know where this thing is going to go, you know, from a health standpoint, from an economic standpoint, it's, it's uh, we're, like I said, I think we're on uncharted waters with this. Oh, without question. And and we don't know what we don't know. You know, like I, I made a, my wife had a very good point the other day. I, our kids were getting into the swimming pool. And I said, you, you think we're good on this? And she said, she said, I don't know. And that's the point. Nobody knows. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. when you're dealing with something, it's a, it's a, no, it's a novel coronavirus. You know, and, and that very word novel means it's new. And so we don't know. Um, I think it's we're so concerned about what's right and what's wrong. I just think we have to protect the people. The people in decision making have to do. We have to do the best we can with the information that's available. And 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 honestly, and we're going to make some mistakes on it. But that's all we're trying to do right now is we're trying to do the best we can with what we have available. Yeah, one of the things I've I've seen some people say as well, you know, they'll talk about, you know, Anthony Fauci or this person or that person and say, well, they were wrong on this. And it's like, well, these aren't weather forecasts where it's like, you know, whatever you, Neil, whatever you and I do is not going to affect whether it's going to be a tornado in Morgantown or or a rainy day in, in L.A. You know, we go outside, we do it. It's like whatever people do cannot affect whether it's going to snow or not, but some of these other things, it's a virus, it's a different thing, you know? So I think it's one of these things where it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a changing thing. And I just think we, you know, it's great to be optimistic and I think that's important. Um, and just try to be as smart as we can, but yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, great that you have a resource like you have where you where you can trust it as opposed to these other things that you're like okay i don't know if you know who's saying this or what what the spin behind it is if because if you if you really get you know end up you know kind of living that way it's like what are you going to believe you know and it's just like you, you kind of you can be just twisted upside down with it um one thing i, I was curious about and you mentioned this before uh when we're talking about players and 18 to 22 year olds, obviously the, the statistics indicated is very low risk in terms of this. Uh, from talking to some coaches around the country, one thing that was brought up to me was, well, there's some older guys on staffs or maybe they're not in really good shape and they're also older. How much do you think that is a concern from what you've talked to either some of the coaches, you know, maybe not necessarily in Morgantown, but at other places where it's like, yeah, the, the players are one thing, but they're also, you're also going to be around a lot of assistant coaches who may not be, who, who may be more at risk. I think that's, uh, I think it's something we have taken into consideration. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to be really careful with how we bring our staff back to the office. Um, 
I've found that we can be really productive without being in the office all the time. Now there's some definite negatives to it and it, it's hard, the communication's harder. Um, the video and, and, and operating the video equipment's what's the biggest uh, hindrance in my opinion. Um, but you do, you have to, you have taken effect that. So um, the precautions that we're going to, we're going to use are all what we call best practices that I think the big 12 was, was proactive. They, they partnered up with Diacon out of Duke university. And I think the NFL may be using them as well. And then our medical community here has been really proactive. So we're going to use best practices and those best practices are really put into effect to protect those who are, are at most risk. And so, you know, I think that, you know, everybody talks about going back to normal. I, I don't know if we'll ever have, I don't know if we'll ever go back and it, and it be the same as it was um, last fall or maybe even the end of February. I don't know if we go back to that. And I always reference back to 9-11. If you, I mean, if you can remember flying before 9-11, and then flying after 9-11, significant difference and reasonably mm-hmm. so. And I think it's going to be similar with how we operate. And so, um, but I do, we have to make decisions with those most at risk. That's that, I think, with those in mind. And, and we definitely are here. And I would say most across college football are doing the same. How concerned would you be if, if you guys have a certain either – protocols in place and you're playing a non-conference team that may have very different uh different protocols um would you you think that'll be an issue for some teams if they look and say well our teams have tested x amount of times and this other team hasn't tested at all and our player is going to be playing them do you foresee that could be some issues coming up at some point down the road not not too far down the road I think that there's going to be a lot of questions like that, Bruce, that I don't have, I don't have an answer for right now. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's one of the things that's been kind of scary, but it's, you know, the unknowns are so, so real. And as a person that's in a leadership position and a person that's responsible for a program and a, and a lot of people under that, it's, it, it's unnerving to sit there and say, I don't know. Um, and I've probably said those three words more um, here in the last three, four months than I, than I can ever remember. I don't know. I, I, I don't know um, how, how we're going to deal with some of these things. Um, one of the things I think that we can be prudent about is a decision like that doesn't really need to be made until closer to the season. You know, so here at the end of May, I don't know if we necessarily need to make decisions about something that's going to happen in September. Because if we just, if we continue just to wait, the more, the more we're going to have more information and the more information allows you to make better decisions. And so that's been really one of kind of my pet peeves there is it's okay to wait and make a decision. You know, people are, are, are getting such a hurry to make decisions. And to me, it's like, let's just wait. You know, there's certain deadlines we'll have to meet as far as making decisions. But let's get closer where we have more information, more data, and then we can make more educated decisions. So in that case, I think we need to get to August before we, we make some of those decisions because I think we'll have more information for that. And so I was thinking, 
I don't have information right now. I'm not trying to dodge it. I just simply don't know how we how we're going to handle some of those situations right now. Yeah, I think in in my line of work, I think it's often kind of frowned upon if it's not great TV or it's not you know if it if it feels like it's not decisive. So you'll see a lot of times people on TV or talking heads who will say some things that are you know cocksure and really colorful or or whatnot they could be way off base but they're gonna you know it's like i don't know is something that usually people who are in the media are reluctant to go there because i think in their heads they feel like that's not part of their job when in reality it's probably the most honest thing they could be and the flip side of it is i think what you just articulated especially in as football coaches where you know, so many are you're you have to lead a hundred people, hundred plus people. And if you don't seem like you have all the answers or aren't totally sure, and we know plenty of people who are probably marching through this without any hesitation, when probably they should have at least a little hesitation, right? And I think that's you know, I think it's honestly I think it's refreshing to hear somebody answer that because as we've said, it is uncharted waters right now. Well, I think it's important. I think if in in any leadership, it's really um, important to be vulnerable, and because I've never met anybody that doesn't have all the answers. And so, um, I think you lose credibility if you make decisions without having knowledge. And um, that's why I've been quick to really lean on our medical people, whether it's our athletic trainer or our director of medicine or people in the hospital here at WB medicine, because they're much more educated on how to handle those situations. Now I'm not asking them what to hell to run on third medium, <laughs> you know what I mean? But because I'm, I'm, I have more knowledge. I should be able to handle that better than they do. But when it becomes, you know, how do we handle um, bringing guys back onto campus? What, what best practices should we use? Should we wear masks? What kind of hand sanitizer? What are you know all those things? They're much. They're, they need to do that. And when they say, "Hey, Neil, we need to wait before we need to get more data. We need to get more information before we make decisions," and I'm listening to them, and then I'm becoming more comfortable standing in front. Like I told our guys on, I guess it was yesterday or Tuesday. I said, "Hey, the Big 12s said that we can we can have workouts beginning on June 15th." I said. To do that, you need to be back in town June 10th. It's voluntary. It's not mandatory. It's up to you. And I said, we're going to have precautions and best practices. That are, we're going to make it as safe as we possibly can. Is it, is it, is it going to be 100% that I can't guarantee anybody anything, but we're going to do the best we can. And I said, when we get closer to that date, I'm not going to tell you what every precaution we're making right now is because we may get more data. But before you leave to come back here for June 10th, I'll let you know exactly what, what to expect and what our procedures are going to be. But I'm not going to do that until it's closer to it. Mm. One of the things, I, uh, the last thing I wanted to broach with you is, and this is something that really has kind of has come up in the middle of the pandemic, which was the NIL rule with college athletics has shifted. And I noticed a few weeks ago, uh, you guys – had had hired Jeremy Darlow as part of I think he's as part of your fifth quarter program, right? He's a brand marketing expert yes. and consultant. How 
yeah. So tell me how, how you envision that. I got into this profession for, for two reasons when I was really young. And the first one was, is I wanted to be around young people. The second one was I love the schematic challenges of, of offensive football. But as I've grown and matured, especially as a head coach, I really kind of view this game as a way to develop young people and not only develop them, uh, their on the field performance, but their off the field performance. And I'm really intrigued by how we can continue to get better at doing that. Um, so we've developed this fifth quarter program. And as part of that is there's a, there's a branding initiative um, that we partner with Jeremy Darlow on. And I've always felt like since social media has grown in significance, that the branding aspect of, of social media is huge. And, and in your personal brand and telling your story is something that that's it's going to be critical regardless of what profession you're in. Whether you want to be an NFL player, a doctor, a financial advisor, whatever it is you want to be, telling your story and <clears throat> promoting your brand is going to be critical. And so I read Jeremy's book, Brands Win Championships, and then we had some dialogue after that because I thought there were some real truths in it and really some things that helped build programs. And then he sent me the advance for athletes or brands too. And I read that and I was able to do a forward quote for our do a quote for the forward of his book. And it just resonated with me. And we had more dialogue about, man, this could be a great teaching tool. And then at the start of the pandemic, we kind of got back together and, and he was, he offered up the service. And what I really like about this is, is it's a service for our student athletes. It's not mandatory. It's something that they can choose to do or choose not to do. But if they choose to do it, I really think that they're going to grow and it's going to help them. Not only people are looking at it, that is an NIL-based deal. To me, that's not. It's really about setting themselves up post-career-wise. Now, we're going to, we're going to do a deal with a group called Influencer that's, that's more NIL-related. Um, but I think with NIL, and this, it's a hot topic, and it's, to me, it's not if it's going to go through, it's when it's going to go through. And I think you either embrace it or you complain about it. And so either one of them is going to be the same result. So we've chosen to embrace it and try to educate our players. Interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how other schools try to make that piece work and what they, what they do with it. Uh, I've seen uh, your arch rival, Pitt. Uh, looks like they've done something with Jeremy too as well, right? Yeah, then and that's I saw that, and he's going to partner, I think, with – I don't know. He's got a plan. Um, but to me, it's not – I don't look at it as, as competition, getting it, and all that kind of stuff. All, all I'm looking at is, all right, how can we make our players better? If Pitt has it, Georgia Tech has it, hey, so what? Um that's not something that we did for a recruiting purpose. It's something we did because I thought if our players could, could go through the course and they were going to learn from a branding expert, you know, if, if anytime you can bring an expert in, in some, in a field that you think is going to benefit your, your uh, players or your staff, you want to do that. So here we had an, an opportunity to partner with an expert in their field that could teach better than I can teach on the importance of branding. All right. And, and, and your personal brand and how to set yourself up. So that was the, that was the thought process behind doing it. Um, but it is going to be interesting. The NIL is going to be interesting. Um, I don't think the, 
I think there has to be more clear legislation on exactly um, how it's going to be enforced, what are the parameters. Um, I think those – it's going to happen in my opinion, but I don't know exactly what it looks like just yet. Mm-hmm. All right, Neil. Well, I appreciate your time and your patience with the uh, with the internet connection we had. It it actually was much better <laughs> on the the one that you thought might be spotty. Um, that one came through bit really well. Um, all right. Well, um, look, I look forward to uh, to seeing you on the fall this season at some point. And um, you know, hopefully, hopefully everything uh, keeps going in the right direction. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, before we get back to the podcast, smelling good is important. Man, I can't tell you how many times Stu has brought that up on one of our uh, calls. It's it's a big thing about him. It's a big thing I know about a lot of our listeners. And Hawthorne, our latest sponsor, smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Just take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work, one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E. That's right, with an E, dot C-O, not dot com. And use my promo code AUDIBLE to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co. And use our promo code AUDIBLE to get 10% off your first purchase. Stay tuned for the athletic Seth Davis, who sits down with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who has some very interesting thoughts as college football ramps up on the way back. The Southeastern Conference took a major step last week when it announced that its schools can begin welcoming athletes back onto campus for workouts beginning on June the 8th. But is the SEC really prepared to do enough testing to make sure that its athletes are safe? It's really important that we not assume that a set of conference guidelines are actually all that will be done on our campuses. That is SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, and he joins me today to discuss how the league arrived at its plans, how it will execute those plans, and what the path looks like moving forward, hopefully, to getting SEC football back onto our TV screens. I'm Seth Davis from The Athletic, and this is The Comeback, COVID-19, and the Return of Sports. We will get to Greg Sankey in a minute, but first, a quick roundup on the latest news around the world of sports. First, in the NBA. This week, we're expecting some more clarity on the league's return-to-play scenario. Sham Sharani from The Athletic is reporting that the league is polling general managers to get their opinions on what the competition format should look like if and when the league gets back on the court. Some options to consider, resuming the regular season with all 30 teams, bringing back a smaller number of teams to figure out playoff standings, or going straight into a normal 16 playoff with or without a possible play-in tournament. Lots of details still to be ironed out, but in the meantime, more NBA teams are being allowed to open their practice facilities for small workouts. And that is good news. The NHL is also getting closer to allowing its athletes to practice again in team facilities in small groups, but back on the ice. Scott Burnside of The Athletic reports that the NHL has outlined safety protocols that would be required in order for teams to be able to take that step, looking towards a possible timetable of early June to begin those workouts. 
And finally, in the world of college basketball, Georgetown coach Patrick Ewing revealed late last week that he had been hospitalized for COVID-19. Lots of concern around the sports world for Ewing, but on Monday, his son, Patrick Jr., revealed that his pops is out of the hospital and recovering. We wish Patrick well. And now, my conversation with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey about his league's announcement that it's allowing athletes back on campus, hopefully with an eye towards getting ready for a fall sports season. Greg Sankey, welcome to the Comeback Podcast. Let's get right to it. Explain to us exactly what the SEC's policy is that you all announced last week, and how did you arrive at the decision to go forward with this set of policies and procedures? We made an announcement that looks forward to Monday, June 8th as the first day of a no earlier than date for student-athletes to return to our athletic department facilities to begin the really the strength and conditioning part of uh, their preparation this summer. It was uh, a decision made after the NCAA Division I Council allowed voluntary activities to resume effective June 1st, actually. But we have had a medical advisory task force, return to athletic activity task force, looking at a wide array, array of issues around health concerns, around return to activity, around diagnosis, uh, testing activities that are appropriate, along with our campuses who are for weeks and really months have been planning for the return of their student athletes. So all of those combined to essentially have us through our presidents and chancellors allow this opportunity June 8th, which gives a two-week lead-up time for oversight, communication, final preparations that will lead to uh, the first step of student-athletes being active again on our campuses. Obviously, Greg, nothing is risk-free, especially in this current environment. What can you say about the risk involved in moving ahead with at least these workouts as an introductory phase to getting everybody back on the field and on the court? We're all learning how to adjust and and live in this COVID-19 environment, and nothing in life is risk-free. We know a a few realities of our programs. One, they are contained environments. Second, they have built-in sports medicine experts, team doctors, physicians, uh, athletic trainers, sports medicine specialists, and many of them have direct relationships either with university hospitals or with proximal hospitals who deal with health and safety issues every day. And so we have literally the best of the best across our footprint to help guide us in this effort. Uh, On the other hand, we have states that are opening. They do this on different timelines, but they're opening to allow physical activity access to gyms And rather than simply cast everyone to whatever circumstance they may find themselves in wherever they reside, we we believe there's an opportunity to to mitigate, manage, oversee the risk, support uh, in in a really positive way the health of our student-athletes through this initial step of opening our athletic facilities again. So, Greg, the biggest concern that people have with this, of course, is the big issue of testing. As part of these protocols... You're saying that athletes should get tested on their way onto campus and then once they're on campus, but that doesn't include testing them moving forward once they're on campus unless they are showing symptoms. And as we all know, 
Oftentimes, people are asymptomatic for several days until they develop symptoms of the virus. But in the meantime, they can still transmit the virus. This is why, for example, Major League Baseball, their return to play plan, which they released last week, that includes testing all individuals multiple times per week. So what would you say to people who are concerned that that is not adequate and therefore you're running an unacceptable risk that somebody could be asymptomatic, not tested, but positive, and then spread the virus to a whole lot of his teammates? Well, let's back up in the question and understand just a set of realities. As I indicated, we have relied on health professionals to guide our decision-making and our campuses will do the same. That's one important point. The second is uh, we have watched decision-making play out in different ways in local communities and across states over the last 60, 70, 80 days of, of this public health crisis. And, and so it's, it's really important that we not assume that a set of conference guidelines are actually all that will be done on our campuses. In fact, our campuses are communicating, and that's why the lead-up time is important. They're communicating their preparation and their protocols on a local basis. And so we're not returning to play right now either. We are allowing a limited number of individuals uh, on a voluntary basis to access weight facilities. And we can compare that to the alternative, which is we keep those closed and say to people, go wherever you want to. Uh, and, and relatively speaking, an unsupervised environment without the diagnostic oversight, without the continuity of attention that we'll be providing from a care standpoint on our campuses. So we have to, to set up what's actually happening against some of the observations about testing being the only way. Again, relying on, on health professionals, we've made these decisions and our campuses are absolutely going further than conference guidelines. And we also understand that we've seen in our society the questions about reliability and access to testing. We know that will develop rapidly over the next weeks and months. And so we take a long view as we look at testing that we're going to learn a great deal and we're going to be prepared as we go further into the summer to support those protocols on our campuses, even as they're doing that come June 8th and and likely before even. And in fact, your colleague from the Big 12, Bob Bowlesby, uh, the commissioner there, did say recently he's anticipating more and cheaper tests being available in the coming weeks and months right now i've you know i've heard these figures you know 50 to 100 dollars a test that's a lot of money that's going to add up is it your anticipation greg that as things get moved forward closer to a season potentially starting that you're going to have more cheaper tests well there's another word in there that has to be considered and that's reliability and we don't have the luxury based on the information that's been shared with me to assume that every test result is actually the correct test result and we're, we're learning collectively more and more about that reality. Um, we invest a great deal in, in the health and safety support for our student athletes, and we'll do so around testing. Do I expect that availability and the economics will change? I do, but I'm not the one designing those tests. I'm not the one re- researching the reliability. Uh, but I think as, as we've seen, again, over the last 60, 70 days, particularly over the last 30 days, the availability of testing has increased. The methodology around testing has expanded. And and I think we'll see the reliability, which has been a point of concern, be more and more accurate as we move into and through the summer. The NCA has declined to issue any um, specific uniform procedure. So we have variations between schools, variations between conferences. Would it be more helpful for you guys at the conference level if the NCAA had some stronger guidelines so you could ensure that not only was it being being done properly, but uniformly across the country? 
the NCA is not alone in not being a national prescriber of protocols. We've seen that from governments uh, at the federal level, states, and locales having different uh, expectations and standards. So what I, what I think the NCA has done is actually acknowledge that reality. Uh, I think that's an important anchor in this conversation. As we go through the summer and continue to talk among conference commissioners, my expectations will be more and more common expectations uh, as we go back and think about testing availability and reliability. That will inform decision-making, and we're in a circumstance where we do have time to make some determinations. We get to see the continuing expansion of testing, the, the enhancement of reliability. Those realities will help inform that decision-making, and, and candidly, I think the lack of a standard dictate right now at the national level is probably the most informed perspective. Whether it remains that way through the next 60, 70, 80, 90 days, we'll have to see. In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by Advi. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or taking 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. A consistent conversation and debate, frankly, about whether you could have sports on any given campus without the students there, either all of the students or at least, you know, a good percentage of them participating on campus. Can you envision a scenario where you're having sports without students on campus? And could you envision a scenario where you're only having football and not other sports? Or when you talk about fall sports, are you talking about all or nothing? I have uh, avoided running down the trail of all the hypotheticals because um, the, the framing of those if and what if questions uh, narrows whatever reality we may face. And right now in, in mid-late May, we don't have to make those decisions. We have to think about those realities. We don't have to make those decisions. My, my fundamental statement has been and will continue to be, our universities have to be back to operations as a first step in fostering the return of sports, football, soccer, volleyball, cross country for us in the fall. And we're seeing that happen literally right now. Our universities are getting back to activity as we learn how to live with the realities around COVID-19. Um, the what ifs, the, the, the how does campus look? How do we adjust? Um, what does that mean for students? All of those are to be answered questions. And, and I've avoided trying to predict because I think we'll have to adjust to the reality. I fully expect, based on the communications from our campuses, 
uh, adjustments in the fall. So we've seen the adjustments of the academic calendar. I fully expect, like we've seen over the last five years, probably for the last decade, an increase in online delivery of courses. But I also expect the emphasis will be on residential learning, whatever that looks like. And those are the plans that are being made that will help us be prepared to answer the question as we move into the fall sports season. All of us, of course, are under the assumption that, particularly with respect to football, we're talking about uh, no fans uh, in the stadium. Uh, It was interesting to read recently, Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, actually talked about potentially putting fans in their stadium, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, whatever it may be. Has there been, and I realize this is a hypothetical, so obviously you're not going to commit either way, but has there been much conversation about fans in the stadium or has nobody uh, within the SEC or the conversations you have really willing to go there yet? Well, sure, there's been conversation. There's been conversation that ranges the gamut. You know, as we look, Seth, at the the conversation that's erupted in in the narrative, you've seen like football season at one point, I read an article was going to kick off in July of 2020. Well, I never, I don't know who was talking about that hypothetical. And then there's the notion that, well, it could go all the way to June of 2021 if we kicked off at some point in the spring. And then there's the, what happens with fans. Um, So I think all of us are looking at scenarios, but again, it's mid-May. Those are decisions we don't have to make. We have to think forward. We have to think about what does game management look like? What does egress and ingress look like? What does the way we distribute tickets look like? And there are uh, literally hundreds of elements. Part of the value right now in in using that time is you're able to watch the last, what, seven, eight days of NASCAR returning competition. They don't have fans right now, but they're also creating structures. We have the the ability to learn from what's happening literally internationally and domestically and and professionally as they either return to play or prepare to return to play. And then we have this asset of time that slips by every day that helps us learn how to adapt, how to support what we knew as normal a year ago and how we prepare for adjustments. I think all of those are better talked about in a full range as opposed to specifying and predicting here's where we're heading. Greg, last question. I know talking about finances when we're talking about a global health crisis um, can be awkward to to say the least. So I want to create a little bit of a safe space for you to do just that, because I think we at least have to consider or at least know the financial implications if there were no football this year to your conference. Uh, Again, I was interested to see Danny White, for example, the athletic director at UCF. He made the argument that it's better to wait until you can put fans fully in the stadium because you're losing a lot of revenue by not having fans in there. What is the financial piece that is staring you in the face? We all know it's never going to overtake the health piece, but what is the financial fact and data point that's kind of staring you in the face that you have to consider as you make all these decisions because finances are important? Well, if we look back, we have an opportunity for learning about how we've approached this issue. And and that is in the midst of March, with the SEC basketball tournament, we stopped. We didn't have a debate about finances. We looked at the health implications, uh, the realities around the virus, and made a very clear decision. Uh, In fact, our conference stopped competition as we continued to learn. We stopped competition completely well before any announcement on March 12th about NCAA championship disruption. 
And then we've extended it. And obviously, like others, have stopped the season. There are financial implications to a conference that has, for example, arguably the most highly attended, in fact, not arguably, factually, the most highly attended baseball season, the defending national champions. But at the forefront has been a principle that we're going to be attentive to the health and safety. So you look into the fall, and now we're going to play the, well, what if um, kind of conversation. Well, I don't know what the fall will look like. We have to be open and honest about that reality. We may not know what the late fall looks like or what next spring looks like. And that's where I think some of the, the ideas about delay are actually operating from the same lack of information that we observe being present here. If we don't play a sport or multiple sports in the fall or the financial implications, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what do those look like? Well, it, it depends on, on how the, the pandemic and the public health uh, realities play out around um, that, that, that decision-making process. And so it's, uh, I think all of us are going through this scenario planning I described, which says, okay, some level of, of normal and we're going to have efficiencies that have been introduced because that's a responsibility. And then what if there's partial disruption or complete disruption? I think we, we all have to be thinking about those contingency plans rather than trying to, to nail down uh, the specifics. We're going to have to react to the reality. Greg Sankey, thank you for being on the Comeback Pod. I hope it's only a matter of time before I can make you really angry about how many uh, SEC teams should be in the college football playoff, getting back to those debates once again. But we appreciate your time and all your work on this, and best of luck moving forward. Yeah, I hope it's multiple, and then that leads us into a conversation about how many teams in the NCAA basketball tournament come spring. So it'd be nice to have those realities again. I appreciate the conversation. It's the day. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you. Yeah, take care. Thanks to Greg Sankey for joining us today. This is The Comeback presented by The Athletic. Be sure to follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you access your podcasts. We're going to be tracking all of these stories, all of these sports, all of these leagues as they hopefully over the coming weeks and months move back towards getting to the games. Thanks for listening, everybody. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.